I'm going to begin today by reading our passage. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are going to read verses 25 through 34. Key section in the Sermon on the Mount. The words of Jesus, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God bless his word to us today. As we continue in our series here in the Gospel of Matthew on the subject of the kingdom or the kingdom of God, and uh, this brings us today to a very, very key verse in the Gospel of Matthew and a very special verse uh, in my own life. Have you ever heard this, do you have a life verse? Now, if you've never heard that before, I'm going to guess you didn't grow up in Christianville like I did, okay? Okay. Because in the Christianville that I grew up in, it was expected that every good Christian would have a life verse. Now, is there anywhere in the Bible that says you have to have a life verse? No. And practically speaking, all the verses of the Bible should be our life verse, don't you think? Right? So, setting that aside, though, I, uh, most of my schooling was growing up was in public schools, but I did graduate from a Christian school. And... I remember before they, we graduated or they were putting the yearbook together or whatever, we had to have like our gradu- submit a graduation photo and we had to select a life verse that would be put on the yearbook as being our life verse because every good Christian, of course, has a life verse. And when you're 17 years old, you know, you've already decided for the rest of your life what will be the guiding North Star verse of your life because you've got it all figured out. So anyway, I remember... Um, I remember picking a verse, and I actually dug out my yearbook this week in anticipation of this. So here is 17-year-old Pastor Steve DeWitt, uh, bottom left, if you're not sure which one is me, Uh, and under that you see Matthew 6.33 was the verse that I selected 30 years ago as my as my life verse. 
And somehow, strangely, in almost 25 years of ministry now, I've never spoken on it once in all of my time. So it seems like you should get to your life verse in a quarter century, don't you think? I don't, to my knowledge, I've never spoken on Matthew 6.33. So I'm going to remedy that today and finally talk about my life verse 30 years later. So here we are. You can take that picture down, please. Thank you. He looked so young. Yes, I did. So Matthew 6.33, uh, its location in this famous sermon by Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been talking about what is the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount? It is describing the inner and outer attitudes and actions of a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now remember, the kingdom of God is the reign of God through Christ. And this reign is a real kingdom. Someday it will rule visibly and physically every inch of the universe, the new heaven, the new earth, all of it. But for now it is invisible, it's spiritual. You talk about it, people think, oh, it's no big deal. Why? Because I've never seen it. But it is real. And everybody here is either a citizen of this kingdom of God or they are not. Okay? And that is the determination of eternity, heaven or hell. So it's a big deal. It matters to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And when somebody pledges allegiance to Jesus as Savior and Lord, by faith, trusting in his work on the cross, the Bible says that we go from one kingdom to the other, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. And our citizenship changes. We're now citizens of the kingdom of God. And in this passage here, Jesus describes the anxieties that dominate the old kingdom, the kingdom of man. What's it like to live in the old kingdom? Well, it's like what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, that's the way the citizens of the old kingdom live. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that is a totally radically different life experience, at least it should be. And he gives reasons why that is the case. So, let's get into this now. Notice that he, uh, he says in the first verse, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And it repeats that same triad in verse 31. What you eat, what you drink, your body. Okay, we might call that like the health of your body. Health care, if you will. Now these three represent our most basic needs, don't they? Eating, drinking, and the health of our bodies. What are they trying right now in the, in the wake of Ma uh, Hurricane Matthew, what are they trying to get to Haiti and the Bahamas? Food, clean water, health care. Okay? In any town, what are the most important buildings in the town? The grocery store, the hospital right? So what Jesus is saying here is plainly evident in the life that you and I live. We see it every day. We live this every day. Food, water, and care of our body. So in the kingdom of man, guess what people are obsessing about all the time? They are obsessing about their basic necessities. How are we going to get food? How are we going to get water? How, what about my, the body, my, my, my health, and all of that? And when these concerns are the utmost importance and you alone are responsible for providing it, 
Guess what accompanies these obsessions? Anxieties, fears, worrying about how things are going to be. Am I going to have enough? Am I, am I, are my needs going to be met? What's going to happen to me? And Jesus points out and he says, listen, just look around a second. Have you noticed the birds? I love Jesus' illustrations, by the way, in sermons. They're like so like basic, right? Have you looked at a bird? And we all know a bird, right? These things, they flit around and they're flying around. And he's, he points out that they don't have storage barns. They don't worry about whether their needs are going to be met. God meets the needs of the, of the birds, he says. So what good does all the worrying about it do? And all the fretting about it do? The flowers, they don't worry at all. And yet look how beautifully garmented. Is that a word? I don't know. Beautifully dressed is the better word. They are. No worry, yet beautiful. The birds, no worry, fully fed. Everything's fine. Simple stuff here. And again, he points out, what does all this anxiety actually do? All this worrying actually do? And Jesus is, he's, there's a little wordplay here in the text that I want you to see because he, is, he uses a word to talk about obsession, okay? And the word he uses in verse 32 is seek. He says the Gentiles have these basic needs and they obsess about them. They seek them with everything that they have. It's what they're thinking about. It's what they're talking about. Conversation in the kingdom of man is about material things. It's about this world, and it's about money and power and pleasure and, and even political power. Why is everybody obsessing about an election year? Well, because in the kingdom of man, that is really, really important. And yet, what is true about all of these things, food, water, the health of your body, all of them can so easily be taken away. All of them can be stolen. All of them are subject to causes that all of our worrying and anxiety can't fix, right? In the kingdom of man, they can be stolen, they can lose value, you can have a storm, again, Hurricane Matthew rolls in, and all of a sudden you thought everything was fine and all your needs were met and not, I'm, I'm set, everything's good. Bam, it can all be taken away. And even the, the kind of metaphorical storms of life where so quickly things can change. You have cancer, you have heart disease, you have this, you have that, and all of a sudden all of our sense of security, boo, out the window and we're like filled with anxiety, filled with worry. You can work out every day and still get cancer. You can never smoke and still have heart disease. Like you can't control all of these things. In the kingdom of man, everything is precarious. Everything's sort of like iffy. It's all sort of up for grabs in the kingdom of man. And so guess what dominates the kingdom of man? And what Jesus says here is fear. Fear and worry dominate in the world around us. In fact, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association, this is a real organization, okay? The Anxiety and Depression Association, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in America. They affect 40 million adults in the United States. 
And anxiety disorders cost Americans $42 billion a year. Now, what is ironic about that statistic? We're talking about the United States of America. In terms of world history, we have more food, we have more water, we have the best health care of any human beings that have ever lived. And yet, people are popping pills, dealing with this, disorders and fears and all the rest, worrying all the time. We live in a state of terror. Again, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. What's going on is in the Gentile world, in the kingdom of man, in spite of all of our technology and in spite of all of our inventions and all of our advancements, in the end, all man has is himself. He has to meet his own needs. He has to pull himself up by his bootstraps. He has to get along by his own wits. And in this vast universe, what control do we really have? Really. One human being. What can we actually control? And you look at it from that perspective. It's no wonder we all live in fear. And from one perspective, we should all be a lot more fearful, right? So officially or unofficially, we're all uh, members of the Association of Anxiety and Depression. Welcome to the club. You're a human being. We worry about things in this world. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, this kingdom is ruled by one who Jesus describes here. Notice what he says. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He doesn't just say God. Yahweh, Almighty, something like that. What does he say? Your heavenly Father. That is a term of relationship. That is a term of endearment. He is not simply God. He is our heavenly Father. We live in the kingdom of our heavenly Father. This is our Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. Let the earth be glad. We live in our Father's world. And the Christian, therefore, coming out of the kingdom of man, which is a closed world, no God, no Heavenly Father, got to do it myself, now as a citizen of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of my Heavenly Father is freed from, or should be freed from, the obsessive fears and anxieties that dominate a world that has no God and certainly has no Heavenly Father. We enter into the realm now of relationship with the God of Heaven who makes promises to us that He is going to meet our needs. Kingdom of man, self-trust, self-reliance, i got to meet my own needs. Kingdom of God, God-trust, God-reliance. He's going to meet my needs. And that difference there is the difference between obsessive fear and anxiety and simple trust and dependence on God on a daily basis for the daily bread that we need. Massive difference in the heart of the Christian. Now here's the wordplay, okay? I want you to see the wordplay. He says the Gentiles seek these things. Okay, see the word there? They seek these things. They are all about the kingdom of man. That's all their focus, but not us, right? 
We trust in God's ability to meet our needs and our seekings, therefore, are entirely different. They're about food, water, and all of this. Now our seekings, he says in verse 33, we're freed from that stuff. We are free to obsess and to seek after the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And again, the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God in this world. His righteousness here is describing God's purposes, God's will, God's righteous desires for us. The, this is holy living. This is uh, the, the, the things of God, right thinking, right living, right priorities. We're to seek those things. In fact, again, the wordplay is they go after food and water. They obsess about it. We in the citizens of the kingdom of God, we obsess about something different. With no less energy than he goes after his food and water, we are going after the things of God. We are pursuing the righteousness of God. We are seeking the kingdom of God. So, like a hungry man, I want you to get this, like a hungry man goes after food. And when you're hungry, that's a, that's a pretty good obsession, isn't it? Like, I want something, like, right now. Or a thirsty man goes after drink. Or a sick man goes to the doctor. We as citizens of the kingdom of God, freed from those obsessions, we go after the things of the Lord. So he is encouraging here a kind of obsessive seeking, but it is the seeking of the kingdom of God over the things of man or the kingdom of man. And that is why the word there is first. Seek first the kingdom of of God. He doesn't say seek only the kingdom of God. Okay? Because there are, we need food, we need water, we need, you know, it's fine to go to the doctor, take care of yourself, all of that is fine. Okay? It's not seek only the kingdom of God, but rather it is seek first the kingdom of God. First is a word of like priority and importance. This is the big deal in my life. Yes, I've got a job, and yes, I've got a house, and yes, I pay my bills, and yes, I take my kids to school, and yes, I'm doing all of that stuff, but that stuff isn't the big deal in my life. The big deal is the things of God. The big deal is the gospel. The big deal is the church and the, the things that God is doing in the world. That's the thing, that's where my heart is at here. Yes, I do this, but my heart is over here. Like the birds, we should hunt and gather. Okay, They don't sit back and go, ah. Those birds are flying around all the time, picking up little food. They're going to work, right? And the flowers don't just sit there and go, I'm thirsty. What do they do? They grow roots that allows them to flourish. Okay, So it's not like we just sit back and do nothing, like God, just feed me. No, we have to work. All that's part of his plan, for sure. But again, it is first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So to say it this way, you can, you can make a great wage in your vocation and pursue career excellence, but your first priority in your life is the kingdom of God. Or you can raise your children and treasure the domestic experience, but your first priority is the kingdom of God. You can work diligently as a student but the real GPA you're worried about is your kingdom of God GPA, more than what your teacher says. Okay, or to say it this way, first doesn't mean nothing else, 
it means nothing else is first. Nothing is rising in my priority heart above the kingdom of God and the things of God. There's no, there's no competition here. I know what I'm about as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I'm about him. Now, what about my needs? Okay, you say, well, okay, it's fine, Pastor Steve. So you're saying never go to the grocery store, never go to the doctor, right? Just come to church. We pray all day. Um, um, you know, is that what we're saying? No, okay, not at all. Well, Pastor Steve, if I just go to the church and go, um, um, and don't work, I'm going to be hungry, I'm going to be thirsty, and my body's going to waste away. Notice that verse 33 is a command that brings with it a promise. Do you see it? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. The kingdom of man, they are trying to get them. They're working so hard to get them. They're obsessing, they're afraid. But in the kingdom of God, we trust the Lord to meet our needs. We seek him first, and God, the God of heaven says, these things will be added unto you. When my heart position is God first, kingdom of God first, God's promise now applies, and he says, I promise I'm gonna meet your needs. All these things, Food, water, health, all the rest, all of these will be added unto you. Your Father is going to provide those. And so I I want you to hear that because one of the things that I know is an issue in this room right now is fear and worry. Maybe that's you here this morning. You walked in here, and if I said, what's going on in your heart? If you were honest, you would say, fear and worry. How do we grapple with fear and worry fear wants to know the future worry wants to control the future faith is this it is a trusting in the god who both knows the future and controls the future and promises to his people i'm going to be there for you i am going to come through i'm going to meet your needs What if my daughters woke up in the morning? I love, to, I love to get them out of bed. They're so cute and cuddly and all the rest, you know, in the morning. And uh, what if I went into my daughter's room, at least the one that can talk, uh, and I, I, I said, oh, Kiralee, it's so good to see you. Daddy's here. And she goes, Daddy, am I going to have anything to eat today? Are you going to feed me? Daddy, I want to drink something. Don't withhold water from me today. Do we have water? What would I say? Sweetheart, there's food in the fridge. Look at the tap. Water. It comes out as much as we want, anytime. I have all the food you need. I have all the water you need. Daddy is going to feed you today. You're going to get to drink water today. Daddy's going to take care of you. And you bet I'm going to take care of her. Now imagine that I'm not just little old me. Let's say 
I am the God of the universe, and every resource in all of the universe is at my disposal to meet her need for food and water. How much more should she wake up thinking, I think I'm going to eat today. I think I'm going to drink today. Because my daddy is almighty God. What do I have to worry about today? And that is what Jesus is saying. He wants us to realize he is not simply God. He is our heavenly father. And he is absolutely committed to you, dear friend. He is committed to you. He loves you. He is fully invested in you and your good. Send his son Jesus to meet your most basic need, which is not food or water, but sin and the forgiveness of sins. He is completely in. He is all for you. And he promises that he is going to meet today's need and tomorrow's need. What are you afraid of? In fact, may I ask, is it possible that our fears and our worries might actually reveal that what we are seeking is not the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of man? Could it be the solution to your anxiety, friend, is not simply to have this issue taken care of, but for the orientation of your heart and life to move away from the old kingdom and all of its fears and to live according to the culture of the kingdom of God, which is that God is going to meet your needs. Think of all the fear and worry and anxiety that could just sort of out of this room right now if we really believed and will be added unto you. If we really believe that God would provide for us, think of the blessing that could be to this room right now and maybe in your own heart. And maybe the Holy Spirit will take this truth and just be bam on the kind of obsessive fear that you have. God's got it, Okay. God's got it. And that's Jesus' finale here, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Anybody worried about Monday? Okay, here's the verse for you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Notice that Jesus is not saying, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and all your troubles go away. He doesn't say that here. He acknowledges that life has Troubles, and even the person who said these words had more troubles than any of us in his life. Went to Gethsemane, went to Calvary. He knows about trouble, right? He knows about trouble. But the kingdom of God, all troubles have accompanying promises. So I don't know what Tuesday has for me, do you? You know what Tuesday has for you? I don't know what Tuesday has for me. But here's what I know. The God of heaven's going to meet me on Tuesday morning when I cry out, am I going to eat today? And he's still going to be the God of heaven. He's still going to be loving me. The promises will still be true. Therefore, I don't have to worry necessarily about Tuesday or Thursday or next week or December or 2017. Why? God's got it. God's got it. And that, Jesus is encouraging to free us to just live in today, to enjoy 
today, free from fears about tomorrow, because God's going to be there. Now, slight, slight tangent here, okay? I very rarely go down a rabbit trail, but I'm going to a little bit right now. Some of you are going, you do it all the time. I know, probably, but (laughs) a little rabbit trail, because you might be here thinking this question, because this is what came in my own heart as I was studying for this, is if I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, if I have the kingdom of God, why should I seek it? Like, how do I have and seek at the same time? That doesn't seem to make sense. Well, I would compare this somewhat to marriage, at least some good lessons I've learned in marriage in four years now. Uh, Because, you know, in marriage, a man takes a wife. When a man gets married, he has a wife. Congratulations. You got her to say yes. She wore the dress. She said, I do. And you walked out, and now you have a wife. Now, single people, listen to me because I was single a long time. Many single people see marriage as the end of the journey. Having been married now for four years, I will tell you it is simply the beginning of the journey. Because it's one thing to have a wife and to be married. It's another thing to experience all of the blessings that can come in marriage, which has, all, that has nothing to do with the wedding, okay? It has to do with the relationship moving forward, right? What must be true for a man to have his wife, to seek his wife? Well, she must continue to have first place in his heart. She has to continue to be the love of his life. She has to continue to be in the midst of competing desires in a man's heart, but enough about football. Uh, She needs to always be in that place of first, And for that to happen, he has to ongoingly seek her, doesn't he? Okay, He has to ongoingly build relationship with her, serve her, love her, care for her, seek to meet her needs. When he seeks her like this, he has a wife and he seeks his wife. Okay, He has a wife and he seeks his wife. And as he does this, the blessings of marriage are more fully experienced in his life. He has more of marriage by having more of her and her heart. And the women said, amen, Pastor Steve, amen. (laughs) I wasn't sure if I was liking this sermon, but now it's one of my all-time favorites. Okay. And that's what Jesus is urging about the kingdom of God. When you put your faith in Jesus, you know what? You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have the kingdom of God. But that is only the beginning of the experiencing of the blessings of the kingdom that come to us personally when we continue to seek God's kingdom above all else. End of rabbit trail. So how do we do this? Okay, sounds good. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Got it. Got to want Jesus and God's stuff more than anything else. Okay, I've heard that sermon before. How do I seek the kingdom of God, actually? And there's many things, but I just have a few I want to point out to you here, practically speaking. First of all, it takes a coup d'etat. Now, 
I'll refer back to high school. I've already done it here, showed a picture. Took French in high school. And my French is a little bit rusty, so I had to actually look this up. But coup d'etat, a coup d'etat, is when one government is overthrown, often suddenly and unexpectedly, by another government. Okay? So some famous coups. Absalom and David was a coup. Julius Caesar murdered by Brutus, et tu Brutus. Beware the Ides of March, la, 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 all of that. Sudden coup, Caesar's out. Napoleon took over France in a coup. There was a coup attempt in Turkey this summer, you might remember. Typically, it's like the military leader who has the army behind him very quickly goes to the political leader and, like, kills him and says, I'm in charge now, okay? I'm the new guy. Spiritually speaking, the same thing is true in our hearts. We are born into the kingdom of Satan. We are born into the kingdom of darkness. We are born sinners. Left to ourselves, we have gods in our hearts like money and security and health and pride and self-love. Those are firmly enthroned in our heart. You don't have to train a child to love him or herself. You don't have to train a child to live for security or money. That's just the way that we are naturally. They will not leave without a fight, those demigods in our heart. And this is why, as I talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, this, will do, this is having no effect on some people here right now. I guarantee it. No effect. You're going to walk out of here, nothing changes, you think it's hooey. And the reason that you do is... Because I can teach and preach and I can be eloquent and I can be funny, I can be serious, I can be deep, I can be wide, all these things. But until there is a coup d'etat in your heart, until those gods are removed, you're not going to want to hear anything that the Word of God has to say. You don't care. You're bored stiff right now. This is of no interest to you. You're not sure why you came to first service. The only way for those gods to be removed is for your heart to perceive a better kingdom and a better king. It's like Ceausescu with the Romanians, 1990, 1991. Why did the Romanians overthrow Ceausescu? Why did the, the wall fall in Berlin? It's because freedom and democracy took hold in the hearts of the people. And they marched in and they overthrew the communist leader and they established freedom and democracy. That became a greater desire in their hearts. And that is why nobody enters the kingdom of God, nobody seeks the kingdom of God until there is a coup d'etat, until there is in the heart of the sinner a revolution. Here's the revolution, Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. Is Jesus your king this morning, friend? Is he your king? Has that coup take place in your heart where you pledged allegiance to Jesus and in doing that usurped the demigods of your life? An allegiance to Jesus over any other. You know what the Bible calls that? 
saving faith. Saving faith. To trust and to believe in Christ. And that is the necessary first step to seeking the, God, uh, the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. And until that happens, this is, makes, this is nonsense to you. And I would urge you to put your faith and trust in Jesus, to make him king, savior, and lord of your life. In other words, join the revolution. That's what I'm saying. Join the revolution, the revolution of Jesus. Second thing, once that is, I'm going to make a certain assumption, many of you, hopefully most of you, the coup has taken place, okay? But how do I seek, how do I seek the kingdom? A few encouragements. First one is, saturate, your, saturate yourself with the kingdom, okay? Saturate yourself with the kingdom. Before I lived here, I lived in Indianapolis. When you live in Indianapolis, you hear about two things all the time. The race, okay? But the Colts is the second thing that you hear about. And when I lived down there, I didn't really know that much about the Colts, but you watch the news, you read the paper, you listen to people talking, Colts, 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 you get to know the players and, you know, uh, the, the quarterback and all of that, go to a game or two. I found myself, when I lived there, I became a Colts fan when I lived in Indianapolis. Then I moved up here. And guess what you hear about up here all the time? Cubs losing streak. And the Chicago Bears, right? The players, the coaches, what's going on, it's in the paper, anytime you watch a news broadcast, there's always the bear, you know, for months before the season, trades and all of that, months after the season, why do we do so terrible again this year, all of that, Bears, 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 now my dad was a Walter Payton fan, so it wasn't that hard for me to become a Bears fan, but here I've lived here now 19 years, I'm a Bears fan, I've been saturated with Bears theology, and I am a Bears fan. Here's what's going on. Our hearts get excited about the things that we put before them as being important, okay? You, you hang around car guys, all of a sudden you get interested in bets, right? You hang around animal guys and you're wanting to buy a cat. And you hang around sports people and all of a sudden you're sort of interested in that. Whatever you saturate your heart and your mind with, your mind with, your heart will think this is the most important thing. And when it comes to seeking first the kingdom of God, God has established outposts of kingdom culture known as churches, local churches. And within that outpost there is kingdom culture that is treasured and prioritized. This is the thing that we talk about. This is what we're about. And when you are around other Christians, at least in a good biblical church, when you're around other Christians like that and you're part of the, the culture of the church, all of a sudden you start getting excited about the kingdom of God because that's what everybody's sort of talking about and interested in and, and, and enjoying and I would encourage you to saturate yourself with the kingdom of God. Guess what happens when you read a Bible? Okay, here's the, here's the kingdom of God playbook, right? You read this, and all of a sudden, if you read it and study it and memorize it and Bible studies in it, it gets you excited about the kingdom of God and kingdom God priorities and God's will. Prayer. When I go to pray, when I pray, all of a sudden I find when I'm done praying, I'm a little more excited about the kingdom of God than when I started. Why? Prayer cultivates that 
kind of holy, righteous desires in my heart. And many other things. The point is this, is that the, that we ought, the, the, the kingdom of God is so countercultural. You hang out in the world of the kingdom of man, no one's going to get you excited about the kingdom of God. You're going to get excited about what they're about, food, water, health, all the rest. But when we are saturating ourselves with the kingdom of God, we're in kingdom relationships with one another, we're with other people that are about the things of God, it moves our hearts towards making the kingdom of God a priority, hopefully first place in our heart. And that ought to be the culture of the church. And I pray that it is, that we are the kind of church that when you hang out here, our services, our small groups, our ministries, whatever, you leave here, you are a little bit more excited about the kingdom of God than when you walked in here. Walking out there saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I want this week in my life. We want to be that kind of church. I could go on with that. I can. Time's fleeting. Really fleeting. Here's the second thing. Can I encourage you to reserve your greatest celebrations for kingdom of God things, okay? The biggest sort of things you get excited about, kingdom of God things. You can tell what you really care about by what you celebrate, okay? So anniversaries mean marriage is important and birthdays mean life is, you know, human life is important. In the kingdom of God, we need to celebrate the things that the king celebrates, right? Now, the Bible says, for one example, there's something that happens that makes all the angels of heaven to dance. Did you know the angels dance in heaven? Someday some of you will as well. What makes angels in heaven dance? When a sinner repents, okay? Heaven's like, ha, 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 so excited. When a sinner repents, the gospel takes root in somebody's heart. Oh, that's so fantastic. What happens in your heart when you hear of a win in the kingdom of God like that? 31 young people three weeks ago receiving Christ in one night here, okay? Six adult men two weeks ago receiving Christ at a men's uh, outreach in, in Hobart, right? What's that? That's a celebration. I get excited about that, okay? Celebrate those things. Sometimes at our baptisms, we'll baptize people, and I'll say to the family, hey, you're going out and celebrating? And I get the idea, they're like, I don't we didn't really think about that. And yet the graduation party is this big thing, and their birthday is this big thing. What is more important, a baptism or a birthday? Absolutely, the baptism is more important in the kingdom of God. And when kingdom people are like excited about kingdom priorities and seeking that first, then the winds of the kingdom are the things that really get us excited. And we sort of reserve that like, oh, excitement for those things. And I say this to myself. I've been to so many ball games and things where I'm like doing the happy dance because of a touchdown or a three-pointer or something like that. And then in the church, it's like, oh, yeah, awesome. There's something wrong when we celebrate more the, the dumb stuff of the kingdom of man than the significant things in the kingdom of God. Okay? Celebrate, be joyous, rejoice. Here are some things that, the hev that heaven celebrates. The Beatitudes, the applause of heaven, remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they who mourn. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the meek, etc. 
Okay, all of these are qualities of the, the genuine Christian. Jesus is in heaven delighting when he sees these things. What's the big deal around here? Maybe affirming these things in one another. If heaven applauds mourning in spirit, how do we respond to seeing humility in somebody's life? Brother, I love that example of humility. That is fantastic. Brother, I thank you for that act of service, that kindness, that going out of your way, giving of yourself, that work of love. That's, that's like amazing. That's wonderful. Like touchdown exciting. What do we want more than anything? We want God's glory to spread by the advancement of the gospel in the hearts and lives of people. That's what we want. We want God's kingdom to invade the territory of the enemy by shining the light of the glory of Jesus. We want people whose lives are filled with worry and anxiety and fear and terror to be freed from all of that and to live in the confident expectation that God is going to meet their needs now and forever. And everywhere that that happens, the citizens of the kingdom should rejoice and celebrate and be glad. Why? Because the kingdom is here, and we're a part of it, and the king is coming. And let all that are excited about that seek him first. His kingdom and his righteousness. Life verse. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Father, this is such an inspiring, wonderful word. I look in the mirror and I see that I fall far short from that. My seekings, my fears reveal the old way of life. I know I have many like that here with me. Father, forgive us for waking up in the morning terrified that you're not going to meet our needs. Help us to be dependent children confident, knowing your goodness, knowing you sent Jesus, how could we question that you're going to meet our needs? And Jesus, we thank you for this teaching. <clears throat> we thank you for this kingdom. We thank you that you are our king. All praise be to you today. Amen.